Welcome to the Hills Baptist Podcast. We're so glad you're joining us as we see Jesus glorified, lives transformed, and hope revealed in the Adelaide Hills and beyond. We hope you enjoy this message. Um, Tuesday night we had a men's Bible study and Caleb Salagaris actually led us uh, through a study on our perceptions of Jesus. Who was Jesus? What did he look like? Uh, how did he act? And I, that's how I want to start uh, today, by asking the same question. Or what kind of Jesus do you follow? Do you think of Jesus as gentle and kind? Uh, do you think of Jesus as the, the healing Jesus, the, uh, the miracle worker? Or do you think of Jesus as the moral teacher? Uh, in Mere Christianity, C.S. Lewis says something um, so powerful. He says, I'm trying here to prevent anyone from saying the really foolish thing that people often say about him. They say, I'm ready to accept Jesus as a great moral teacher, but I don't accept him as God. That is the one thing we must not say. A man who was merely a man and said the sort of things Jesus said would not be a great moral teacher. He would either be a lunatic on a level with a man who says he is a poached egg or else he would be a devil of hell. You must make your choice. Either this man was and is the son of God or else a madman or something worse. You can shut him up for a fool. You can spit at him and kill him as a demon. You can fall at his feet and call him, oh, sorry, or you can fall at his feet and call him Lord and God. But let us not come with, up with any patronizing nonsense about his being a great human teacher. He has not left that open to us, and he did not intend to. <clears throat> and we know people who do shut him up for a fool, don't we? Or spit at him, and, and he, was, he was mocked. And that's what we're going to talk about today. So in Revelation 5.59, we read some apocalyptic literature. Um, it says, Then one of the elders said to me, Do not weep. See, the lion of the tribe of Judah, the root of David, has triumphed. He is able, he is able to open the scroll and its seven seals. Then I saw a lamb looking as if it had been slain, standing at the centre of the throne, encircled by the four living creatures and the elders. The lamb had seven horns and seven eyes, which are the seven spirits of God sent out into the earth. He went, to, went and took the scroll from the right hand of him who sat on the throne. And when he had taken it, the four living creatures and the 24 elders fell down before the Lord. Each one had a harp and they were holding golden bowls full of incense which are the prayers of God's people. And they sang a new song saying, You are worthy to take the scroll and to open its seals, because you were slain, and with your blood you purchased for God persons from every tribe and language and people and nation. Today I want to look at two passages that are related to each other. And they reveal to us both sides of Jesus. Jesus the lion and Jesus the lamb. And it's so encouraging to know that that is who we have who, walking alongside us, 
mediating for us as we walk this journey. Before I read this out to you, I just want you to close your eyes for a minute and try and picture this image of Jesus. Picture Jesus hanging on a cross, on a big, hard, wooden cross. He's completely naked. He has blood trickling down from his head where a crown of thorns has been pressed into his head. He has huge metal nails piercing his hands and his feet. His back and sides are torn and bloody from being whipped mercilessly. And every time he went to breathe, he had to push up on his feet and pull on his hands so that he could get air into his lungs. Matthew 5, 24, 37 said, And they crucified him, dividing up his clothes. They cast lots to see what each would get. It was nine in the morning when they crucified him. The written notice of the charge against him read, The King of the Jews. They crucified two rebels with him, one on his right and one on his left. Those who passed by hurled insults at him, shaking their heads and saying, So, you who are going to destroy the temple and build it in three days. Come down from the cross and save yourself. You who are going to destroy the temple and build it in three days, come down from the cross and save yourself. In the same way, the chief priests and the teachers of the law mocked him among themselves. He saved others, they said, but he can't save himself. Let this Messiah, this King of Israel, come down now from the cross that we may see and believe. Those crucified with him also heaped insults on him. It's a terrible picture, isn't it? Humanity at its most brutal and ruthless. Do you hear the mocking in their voices? Can you feel the sting in their words? Even if Jesus was a criminal, as they claimed him to be, even if he was a criminal, it's still so cruel naked and ashamed and they still mock and taunt him and yet these people are the reason that he was on the cross he was the reason he they were the reason he was hanging there Isaiah 53 but he was pierced for our transgressions he was crushed for our iniquities the punishment that brought us peace was on him and by his wounds we are healed We all like sheep have gone astray. Each of us have turned to our own way. And the Lord has laid on him the iniquity of us all. He was oppressed and afflicted, yet he did not open his mouth. He was led like a lamb to the slaughter. And as a sheep before his shearers, as a sheep before its shearer is silent, so he did not open his mouth. Though he had done no violence, nor was any deceit in his mouth, Yet it was the Lord's will to crush him and cause him to suffer. And though the Lord makes his life an offering for sin, he will see his offspring and prolong his days, and the will of the Lord will prosper in his hand. So in Mark we see Jesus the lamb, the lamb that was slain, the sacrificial lamb, carrying the sins of the world to his death. And in verse 29, we see a link between the two passages I want to look at today. 
So in verse 29, uh, where those mocking Jesus called out, said, So you who are going to destroy the temple and build it in three days, come down from the cross and save yourself. Uh, John, so we're going to jump to John 2, 13 to 25 and look at how they relate to each other. When it was almost time for the Jewish fest, uh, Passover, Jesus went up to Jerusalem. In the temple courts, he found people selling cattle, sheep and doves and others sitting at tables exchanging money. So he made a whip out of the cords and drove all from the temple courts, both sheep and cattle. He scattered the coins of the money changers and overturned their tables. To those who sold doves, he said, get these out of here. Stop turning my father's house into a market. His disciples remember that it is written, zeal for your house will consume me. Then the Jews then responded to him, what sign can you show us to prove your authority to do all these things? Jesus answered them, destroy this temple and I'll raise it again in three days. They replied, it has taken 46 years to build this temple and you are going to raise it in three days? But the temple he had spoken of was his body. After he was raised from the dead, his disciples recalled what he said. Then they believed the scripture and the words that Jesus had spoken. Now while he was in Jerusalem at the Passover festival, many people saw the signs he, he was performing and believed in his name. But Jesus would not entrust himself to them, for he knew all people. He did not need any testimony about mankind, for he knew what was in each person. Do you capture a glimpse of Jesus the lion in this story? He's not afraid of man. He's not afraid of opinions. He speaks and acts with authority. He reveals his power as he performs miracles and signs and wonders. He's not afraid to show his righteous anger. He sees the corruption and the hypocrisy of the Jewish leaders turning his father's house into a market. In another gospel, he calls the, the temple a den of thieves. Instead of worshipping God in his holy dwelling, they were using God's holy dwelling to worship themselves. Can you see that? Instead of worshipping God in his holy dwelling, they were using God's holy dwelling to worship themselves, to use, to manipulate and distract from the, the, the true purpose of the temple. And Jesus is not happy about it. The disciples said he was zealous for his father's house, zealous for it to be used for its true purpose. Jesus is not the nice moral teacher here, is he? And when they ask him for a sign, he gives them a riddle. He says the same words that was used by the mockers at the crucifixion. Destroy this temple and I'll rebuild it in three days. Why does he say that? John tells us that not even his disciples understood what he meant at that time. But he was talking about his resurrection. So what does the temple and the third day have to do with his resurrection. Dave preached last year on how so much of the temple was designed and sculptured to replicate the Garden of Eden. Why? 
because it represented God's plan for humanity. Just like the Garden of Eden, the temple symbolized a place where humans could come and meet with God. It was an extravagant building designed to bring people uh, to revelation of who God was and, and to give a reverent awe uh, of who God was. And even the animal sacrifices in the temple were symbolic of the Garden of Eden. In Genesis 3, we see that God is the first... Um, he, he performed the first animal sacrifice in order to clothe Adam and Eve and hide their nakedness and shame. So we see that the, the sacrifice of animals points us all the way back to Genesis 3. So what do the temple and the Garden of Eden have in common? They're a place for humanity to, to one, have revelation of God. Two, have relationship with God. Three, receive redemption for their sins. And finally, to give God the reverent awe that he deserves. Revelation, relationship, redemption, and reverent awe. You can tell I uh, uh, planned this sermon with Dave Shepherd. <laughs> he loves the, uh, the R's. So while we're in Genesis, I just want to also look at the symbolism of the third day. When we read Genesis 1, it tells us that the first time new life is created is on the third day. Vegetation, trees, fruit-bearing trees spring up from the ground. And then the next third day, on the sixth day, we see new life coming again in the form of animals and livestock and human beings. So do you see what Jesus is doing here? He's revealing the work of the resurrection through these images of the temple and the third day. He's showing us his ultimate plan for what he came on earth to do. Right from the beginning, he knew that he was going to have to die as our perfect sacrificial lamb. But then on the third day, he would rise again, bringing up new, new life, bringing a new order, new creation. The third day symbolized this, the new Eden. When, when he died, the temple court curtains were ripped in two. And when he was raised again, the old temple became obsolete because he was, a, he was the new temple. In him, we have received all of those things in full. We see revelation of God and his love for us. We, see, we have relationship with God. We don't need the temple. We don't need a high priest anymore. We have access to him through Christ. We have redemp redemption from our sins and it's not, we don't have to keep going back to the temple every year. We have complete redemption for our sins. And we can stand in reverent awe of the God who has gone before us and made a way for us, who has broken death and sin, has defeated it that we might have life. I just want to go back to that image that we, were, we had pictured. If you want to close your eyes, you're welcome to. But just that image that we had of Christ again. Can you see Christ on the cross? Do you see his obedience? His love? His love for the Father? His love for us? 
darkness is unleashed on him. And he stands against it and he says, for zeal, your house will consume me. He's consumed by, by his love for his father, for, by his love for us. Matthew 26 tells us that at any moment he could have called down 12 legions of angels to pull him off that cross. And yet he hung there naked and in silence, absorbing all of the hate all of the mocking. Why? Because he was zealous. Zealous for his father. Zealous for us. I don't know if you've ever been endured mocking or torture or temptation or trial. But if you have, you know that Jesus is not just a lamb in this image. Jesus is a lion He's strong, he's resilient, he's determined, he is full of power. He loves us in his fullness all the way to his death without, without sinning, without a mistake, without any failure. He goes to his death silent for us. And he did it. He had victory. He defeated death. He defeated sin. And that's why we're here today, 2,000 years later. That is why we're here today. He had victory. Death could not hold him. And on the third day, he was raised again, bringing in the new creation. He is risen, church. He is risen, church. And now he's calling all of mankind to himself. Can you hear him calling you today? Can you hear him calling you by his love? Calling you into his kingdom? He's calling you as a lion, strong and powerful, determined, sending the darkness fleeing. But he's also calling you as a lamb, gentle and kind, a lamb who was slain for us, who sacrificed himself for us, who, who wa walks alongside us in all of our trials and our suffering. He knows what it is to suffer. He knows what it is to go through trials and he bears that with us. He carries us through it. He carried me through it this week. I didn't think I was going to get here this morning, but he carried me through. He doesn't, just, he doesn't just carry us through. He makes us lions. He gives us victory against the darkness. And it's not in our power. It's not by might nor by power. It's by his spirit. That is the hope that we have. That is the joy. 1 Peter 2 says, As you come to him, the living stone, rejected by humans but chosen by God and precious to him, you also, like living stones, are being built up into a spiritual house to have a holy priesthood, offering spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God through Jesus Christ. For in Scripture it says, See, I lay a stone in Zion, a chosen and precious cornerstone, and the one who trusts in him will not be put to shame. But you are a chosen people, 
a royal priesthood, a holy nation, God's special possession, that you may declare the praises of him who called you out of darkness and into his wonderful light. Once you were not a people, but now you are the people of God. Once you had not received mercy, but now you have received mercy. And I think there's a challenge in there for us too today. We have a choice. Think back to those Jewish, Jewish leaders. Will we use our bodies? Will we use Jesus' temple to worship God? To have a relationship with him? To know the forgiveness from our, of our sins? To, to stand in reverent awe? Or will we be like the Jewish leaders and use God's holy dwelling to worship ourselves? To use and manipulate and distract from the true purpose. I know I am so often tempted to do that, to worship myself, to run, to try and run away from him, to run, from, run into darkness but we can't run from him. Even when we try to live, out, live for ourselves, even when we try to run into darkness, we know that we have, a, we have a lion who pursues us into that darkness. There's, there's no way we can be separated from him because he is zealous for us. He is zealous for God's holy temple. You are God's holy temple. So do you hear that, church? There's no running from God. You can't run from him. There's no hiding. I w I'm just going to just remember Psalm 139. It's a psalm that is just so good. If I can find it. says where can I go from your spirit where can I flee from your presence if I go up to the heavens you are there if I make my bed in the depths you are there if I rise on the wings of the dawn if I settle on the far side of the sea even there your hands will guide me your right hand will hold me fast if I say surely the darkness will hide me and the light become night around me even in the darkness you will not be dark to me the night will shine like the day, for darkness is as light to you. For you created my inmost being. You knit me together in my mother's womb. I praise you because I am fearfully and wonderfully made. Your works are too wonderful. I know that full well. I could keep reading. That's such a great psalm. But do you see that? You can't run from God. He pursues you like a lion. And then... In our trials, he comes alongside us as a lamb, gentle and kind, never pushing us too far, never, never leaving us or forsaking us. He's right there alongside us and he knows us. He knows what it is to suffer. He knows what it is to face death. So we can put our trust in him because he loves us with the love of the Father. And we're called into that love. So I hope you all know the joy 
of the love of the Father. And I hope you know that you are holy people. You are chosen people. And we are family. And we are called into the work of God. And he calls us into life. So let's live in that life, church. Let's be that life for each other. Let's be that life for our community. Let's be that life for our family. If, um, if you don't know this life, if you, want, if you want this life, then in this last song or after the service, come and talk to me or John and, and we'll, we'll share that with you. We'll pray with you. But it is, there is nowhere else to be but in his love and in his life. Uh, let's pray. Father, we thank you for the powerful work of the cross. Death could not hold you down. You are risen. And with your, when you rose from the dead, you brought about the new creation. You brought about hope and joy and peace and love. You reveal your Father's love to us and for us. And you walk alongside us and you call us to yourself and you chase after us like a lion. You pursue us. You are the lion of Judah, lion of the tribe of Judah, and you are the lamb that was slain. Father, would you comfort us in our trials and our suffering? And would you make us bold in the work that you have for us here in Lobethal, in our families, in our workplaces, in our communities. Make us bold because you have gone before us and showed us the way. We surrender our lives to you, Father, and we, we give you all the praise and all the glory for you are risen. And in, in your resurrection, you have brought life and life to the full. Thanks for listening to the Hills Baptist Podcast. If you'd like to partner with us in developing and equipping passionate disciples who love God, love people, and boldly share the gospel, you can do that at hillsbaptist.com forward slash giving. We pray this message has empowered you to live and love more like Jesus. Have an amazing day.